Welcome to One Haas, a podcast devoted to bringing the Haas community closer together through your stories. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and my mission is to help open our eyes to the network we never knew we had. So today I'm joined by Mike Devlin of the Full-Time 2019 program. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, excited to be here. You were recommended to us by Hannah. I don't know if this episode will precede hers or because I, I have banked up about 12 episodes now. Very nice. Love hearing Hasi stories. Yeah. <laughs> so Mike, you have a very interesting background through a gamut of just professions even. We definitely want to cover your ALS run across the country. Sure. But let's start off with kind of your background, uh, where you're from and what you did in college, what you studied, what you did before Haas. Yeah, um, so I'm originally from a small town in Maryland. Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up in Maryland, probably about an hour outside the D.C. area. So I'm true and true to uh, my D.C. sports teams, which continue to disappoint me year after year after year, Uh uh, which is super fun. But uh, yeah, I grew up, uh, my mother is uh, an immigrant from India, and uh, my father was born here in the U.S., so I got, a, I got a cool childhood of growing up in like two different cultures, with my mother having brought me up in the, uh, the Hindu religion when I was younger, and then my father uh, being Catholic. And so mm-hmm. I, got a, I got to experience both sides of that, two different perspectives. It was really cool and really interesting, and at the time I didn't really think much of it, but looking back on it now, it's like a super valuable experience to be able to look at things from two different sides of the coin. Nice. Um, and I think that was, uh, that was really awesome. And my mom was, for uh, lack of a better term, definitely a tiger mom. She got me involved <laughs> in so many things, and bless her heart, I, I thank God every day for that. She made it easy for me to try new things, get involved, and just do as much as I could and give it my best shot. And it was, it was really awesome being brought up in that kind of a, that kind of a home uh, and really being like pushed to right. try things and, and, and go to the next level. Even, even with that though, you know, you have a, an overbearing uh, parents and you, you want to get away a little bit. So I tried to get as far away as I could and went to uh, Boston college. Mm-hmm. I went to Boston college to study business because I didn't know what else to do. I had a, um, a chemistry teacher, my, junior year tell me, you know what, science might not be for you. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. But I didn't know where you were supposed to go after that. So I just was like, we'll do, we'll do business. Mm-hmm. And uh, Boston College at the time had a great finance program mm-hmm. and also had some good sports teams. And I was like, my sports teams are terrible. I could use, uh, I could use some good ones. Right. Looking back on it now, I really had no idea what I was doing uh, as an undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably why I'm why I'm here to do round two uh, as an MBA student. But uh, I was kind of marching to the rhythm of everyone else's beat, just mm. because I didn't know what I wanted or what I was supposed to do. Mm. There was definitely a bit of like an achievement focus, mm-hmm. like trying to be super involved, just following after um, the upbringing from my mother. But uh, you know, being involved in community service, being involved in leadership programs and clubs, and following that like finance, which eventually turned into an investment banking track. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think I ever really thought about it other than I was told it was really difficult. Um, it was going to be a huge challenge to try to achieve that. And that was enough for me at that age. So you went to, it looks like you went to City to be an analyst. Upon graduation, I went to Citibank and uh, joined as an investment banking analyst. What side? 
So I was, uh, so I was in the industrials, corporate and investment banking division. Mm-hmm. It was restructured a bunch of times while I was there, but I think that's the final name that mm-hmm. they have now. I got to learn a lot uh, doing investment banking um, and just seeing how you know Fortune 500 companies operate. Mm-hmm. The first, uh, the first major client I was working with was actually American Airlines, Ooh. who was going bankrupt so at the time. That was yeah. Mm-hmm. They went, uh, they went into bankruptcy. I think like eight months into my first year there, wow. something like that. It was like early in 2012. And so that was just crazy because I, I look back and even at the time I was thinking about it, I was like, why is a 21-year-old kid involved in you know the bankruptcy of one of the largest airlines in the world? Like right. I just didn't understand. I couldn't, couldn't fathom the fact that I was there working on that kind of stuff. And it was, a, it was an incredible experience. But so were you helping uh, do their restructuring or? Yeah, so um, we had some pretty large positions with American Airlines at the time. So we were looking into offering them uh, dip financing, which mm. is uh, debtor in possession financing, which would have helped them through bankruptcy. Uh, we didn't end up working on the M&A uh, opportunity with US Airways. I believe we had a conflict of interest with our cards program that mm. we had with them, but it was still... Uh, you know, I was modeling out some crazy scenarios of what would happen if you know they sold all these air- airplanes. What happens if you know they lost these routes? What right. happened if fuel skyrockets even further? It was uh, it was cool. It was like a fun puzzle, yeah. but uh, it was more just uh, the gravity of the situation. I couldn't I couldn't believe uh, the the rooms I was in with giving some of the analysis to I believe the CFO at the time, the head mm-hmm. of our risk team. Uh, talking to lawyers who were representing American Airlines about what they were going to do and mm-hmm. confidential meetings, it was just crazy to to have been involved. I'm not sure you know anybody remembers that I was there, but like <laughs> I was I was a fly on the wall, and I couldn't believe I was in the room. That's amazing. Yeah. So you left City for Six Point Partners afterwards. Yeah. So after after working at Citibank for a little over or a little under three years, I wanted to accelerate my career a little bit more. At a bulge bracket bank, you kind of climb the ladder at the scheduled increments that mm-hmm. they decide. There's a path, mm-hmm. and uh, I kind of wanted to go get more of an entrepreneurial experience. So mm-hmm. Six Point was a smaller boutique firm that worked mainly with private equity companies. Mm. So it was a great, great experience. I moved a little bit, moved further down the market from Fortune 500 companies to lower middle market private equity targets. Mm-hmm. And I got to lead more of the deals. I was dealing with the clients more hands-on. I was the lead mm. uh, person I was interacting with, was able to establish like a lot of relationships with investors and the uh, private equity firms that I was working with. So it was a chance to develop those soft skills uh, that we all talk about mm-hmm. and uh, be able to learn how to manage those kinds of relationships. What led you to Haas from your associate position? Yeah, so working in investment banking, like I said, was awesome. It was a way to uh, accelerate the learning process. In the early days, I was working you know, 100-hour weeks. Mm-hmm. So just literally from that standpoint, I was working two weeks in one. And the amount of learning that I had was incredible. I was just absolutely thrown into the fire. But I think I've learned at Haas uh, that meaningful work is defined by four things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Autonomy, mastery, purpose, and relatedness. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I had the first two, which was autonomy and mastery. I could do my job. Um, I could work with the clients. I could could manage those relationships. I could answer the technical questions. But I didn't love the mission that I was working towards. I was helping solve big problems for corporations, Mm -hmm. but I didn't feel close enough to the impact. Mm -hmm. I wanted to 
be a part of the innovation that was going to help tackle big problems uh, in this world. Because the more I moved along in my career, the more I saw the big problems that were all around us and the Mm -hmm. issues that we were having. And I didn't see how my work was helping alleviate those problems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So I wanted to start doing things that led to more of an impact in that regard. So I decided that I would need to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And um, going to Haas was was one of those moves that I wanted to make. Uh, Another one we'll talk about later. But uh, it was a community that was focused uh, on tackling the big problems of this world, whether it's, you know, our food supply chain or renewable energy mm-hmm. or just resource distribution. I mean, when I came here, people were talking about solving those problems in just a genuinely curious and good intentioned fashion. And that was exactly the types of people I wanted to be around. Um, and that's exactly what I was hoping for when I applied here. That makes sense. Uh, I had heard the reputation of Haas being focused on creating an impact and using business to make that impact uh, and to help bring positive change. And it's what I found here. So Nice. Yeah. What has your experience been like so far? And where are you looking to go out of Haas? Yeah, so this year has been a roller coaster literally up until this morning. <laughs> Full-blown roller coaster. When I came into Haas... My thought process was that I have skills when it comes to finance and business generally, mm-hmm. uh, and that I would use those skills, uh, especially from uh, understanding the investment side, to move into venture capital and start working on one of the big problems that I've identified that I think ties to a lot of them, which is you know our health. Mm. So I think about this world and I look around all the time and... I think we have huge issues with our food supply chain, and mm-hmm. I think we have huge financial issues, and I think we have huge issues with our healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Now, all of those seem to tie back to one thing, our health choices. Our mm-hmm. healthcare is reactionary. Right. Uh, it's not preventative. And so we can argue about it uh, till the end of time, but uh, if it's still just a reactionary function, it's not actually helping us get healthier. And so that's not going to reduce the costs of that. And some of the statistics around how much that is going to grow and become even more of a financial burden on our society is, you know, just astounding. And I'm sure a quick Google search will bring up a ton of those facts. Then on the other side, the the food supply chain, what we're eating and what we're putting into our bodies uh, has turned into an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to rewind that consumption gene that we seem to have developed, but we really can't stop it. I think that's leading to our health issues. It's leading to our financial issues. And so being focused on tackling those issues around health Mm -hmm. um, in the way that I could make an impact was my focus. So my thought was I tried to move more to venture capital and Mm -hmm. use my skills as an investor, or at least my knowledge of the investment process, to be a responsible investor who could help solve those problems and put money towards companies that could change the way we think about this. I think about venture capital and technology as a way to make the right choices easier, Mm -hmm. to change the default mode. I think that's the responsibility of technology uh, and of venture capital dollars being put to work. That's where I wanted to be positioned. I wanted to have that responsibility. I wanted to be able to make those changes. Uber and Lyft changed the way you got around. Right. Um, I want to be able to find those things that can do that for us uh, from a health perspective. That is great. I guess, have you always been interested in this arena of health or is this something that you came 
to be interested recently? Not at all. Uh, I haven't always. And the reason it changed was definitely partially my investment banking life was, mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't call it the healthiest. Right. Um, there were a lot of hours and a lot there was of stress. not a lot of, definitely a lot of stress and not mm-hmm. a lot of sleep. About midway through my investment banking career, I, I had probably had like a quarter life crisis and mm. was like, I can't just keep dedicating myself. I need something to dedicate myself to outside of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my delusional state, I decided that participating in Ironmans would be the right choice for me. I like it. Uh, I don't know how I thought that was a good idea considering the sleep I was getting, but um, <laughs> I did. And that was uh, that started probably about four or five years ago, I started competing in Ironmans and like ultra marathons and distance swims just to kind of give myself an outlet outside of a professional career. So leading into this, tell us about this ALS project run where you ran across the country, 2,926 miles. Yeah. So, uh, Sounds crazy when you say it out loud. Um, From San Francisco to New York. Yeah, yeah. In 95 uh, days. <laughs> yeah. So speaking about those those health issues, I got to see one that was out of most people's control happen uh, right in front of me. About four years ago, my grandmother passed away from ALS. Mm-hmm. Um which is uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. And watching that process happen was incredibly horrific and just inhumane. I'd, I'd never seen disease strip somebody of their functions in such a heartless way. It mm. wasn't, it, it, was, it, was, it was pretty terrible to watch. Uh, my grandmother loved to talk and to watch her lose her voice first was just, horrible. It was it was really tough for my whole family to watch and seeing that firsthand I couldn't believe the things that we debate amongst ourselves uh, as a civilization when we have an enemy like ALS and other terminal diseases that are just ripping life from people uh, without anybody's permission or mm-hmm. you know agreement. It was something that I saw so much I saw so much helplessness in that experience and then with other people that I wanted to bring just a little bit of attention to it. And, you know, the ice bucket challenge was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, That was an awesome movement. And it had been a while since people had had talked about this disease again and had started bringing some attention to it again. So probably about two years before I did it, I started thinking about a way I could bring some attention to the cause hmm. and what my skills were. And uh, there weren't many options about uh, ways I could really, really cause some, call some attention to this and uh, have people pay attention and, and, and look up and take a look. Mm-hmm. Um, I was out with one of my friends one night and I don't know how we got on the topic of conversation, but he, he straight up asked me if I thought I could run across the country. Mm, Forrest Gump style. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> ah, how hard could that be? I could uh-huh. probably do that. I may have had one or two drinks and been <laughs> a little overconfident, but uh, I was like, that can probably be done. You know, it's how hard could that be? Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, not only do... I think I can do this, but it would be an awesome way to get a lot of attention for a cause that needs some attention. Right. And so that started a two-year process of 
building out a plan, pitching it to uh, organizations that would help support us, mm. sponsor us, and um, partner with us. Uh, we partnered with Project ALS, which is headquartered out of New York, and they're focused on the research behind what causes ALS and trying to uh, to solve that puzzle to really save uh, save those people who are fighting that battle. Um, and I saw it as just an effort focused on the right area. Um, I wanted to be a part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And so I partnered with them to raise as much money as I could to help their cause. And a client of mine, actually, who introduced us, uh, he set up the meeting, I gave my pitch, I walked him through it, and I was like, I can do this. Uh, I gotta, I gotta give a lot of credit to uh, to my client who who supported me and was like, he can do this. Uh, mm -hmm. We had gone on bike rides and whatnot together, um, so it was it was pretty awesome uh, to have him there supporting me. And he was like, this can be done. He can do it. If there's anyone who can do it, it'll be him. And I was <laughs> like, I don't even know if I believe that, but sure. <laughs> So we put together all the logistics. I uh, asked my brother to uh, quit his job and come join me, mm. chaperone, make sure I stayed alive. Mm -hmm. I started funding it initially out of my own pocket, buying the car and all the equipment and everything like that because I didn't want any of the funds that were donated to go to any of the logistics. Mm. So it was fully funded by me and my brother. Everything that was donated, whether from sponsors or from individuals or corporates or whatever, went to fighting ALS. That's amazing. And um, we uh, bootstrapped the whole thing, bought a van, we decked it out in some some cool logos, and uh, we, we drove three days across the country, set up in San Francisco. I touched the uh, the Pacific Ocean and just started going. So you were, you were still in New York at the time? Yeah. Okay, so you yeah. drove, hold on, hold on. Yeah. You drove three days across the country yeah. and then started running immediately. Yes. Yes, and yeah, that, so, that, I mean that 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 trip, that driving trip alone is oh my gosh, exhausting. It was, it was a nightmare. I, I drove from Michigan to LA when I moved out. Yeah, uh, after college, and that was and three days is oh, we did it about as fast <laughs> as you could do it. Um, we just literally stopped places to sleep. But um, I guess uh, to step back a little bit, I ended up leaving my job in February of 2017. Mm -hmm. Really planning out the logistics of this thing, and when I say planning out the logistics, I mean I built the only way I knew how. I built a PowerPoint deck uh, <laughs> showing out the directions uh -huh. um, and what we would need and the supplies and everything like that. And Without a mouse, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I just used Google Maps. Like mm -hmm. I wish there was some rhyme or reason to this, but there aren't many people who have done this. It was about like uh, like about three hundred people had done it. When I was going to do it, mm -hmm. I don't know if more people have done it since. Um, and did you did you start running in February? No, no, I didn't start running till April. So okay, March was God. a lot of the planning. I've, yeah. I've driven through like Utah. It's oh, it's, yeah. it's freezing over there. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> in March that was and also like starting to run in April was like you know me just putting uh, my finger up in the air and being like this feels like a good time. Like uh -huh. I had I had not thought any of that through. Mm -hmm. I thought literally none of this through. And was just legitimately just looking at Google Maps and being like, well, we'll just head east and yeah. we'll figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, we drove out there. Um, it was like April like 12th or something like that. Mm -hmm. And my brother and I took off from New York City. We ended up staying at some friends' places along the way. We slept in the car one night in Winnemucca, 
Nevada. It was freezing, so cold. Wait, how many how many miles did you do a day on average? Uh, I was doing about thirty to forty miles. A oh day. wow! Yeah, it was it was uh, it was serious. That's it. Was it. You're serious. doing a you're doing a mar- over a marathon every single day. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was the other part of it. So I needed to do it in under a hundred days because I had to get back for school. We went out there. We uh, we started in San Francisco, and I uh, had some friends there to see me off and. It fell apart almost as quickly as it started. Mm. I um, the first like ninety miles was a disaster. So um, I thought I could just like run in like ten minute increments and then like do a two minute walk and ten minute run and just like knock this out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I thought that would work, but uh, <laughs> I, I got injured like almost immediately. Huh. Everything like. Everything hurt. Like I had shin splints that I had shin splints to the level I've never felt shin splints before. Mm. And like it felt like metal poles were being like stabbed down my legs. Mm. And we um we had to stop. We had to take the fourth day off. We stayed at a motel six somewhere in California. And uh I remember we called uh my sister's girlfriend, Caitlin, who's an athletic trainer, mm-hmm. and she uh was walking us through some tests to make sure that I didn't have a stress fracture, right? Because um, it was just it was that bad. Like I couldn't I couldn't run at all. I could barely walk. Um, and so my plan of doing thirty miles a day immediately like failed, and I had to take like two days off after three days, which was a little crazy to me considering how many miles I could put on my body in like a week when I was training, which mm-hmm. was you know upwards of 150 to 200 miles, but uh, it was almost like my body was revolting mm. in those early days. And uh, I was I was forced to start walking and I was mm. walking like 10 to 15 miles a day. So I was really falling behind uh, my schedule. And it is uh, the clearest thing I have to um, how innovation works is by the time I had, I, I was walking, I essentially walked from like California to Nevada. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Nevada, I think it was Nevada. I can't, I can't remember <laughs> for sure. But uh, at some point I needed to, uh, I just couldn't spend as much time on my feet. It was taking 14 hours to knock out 30 miles like walking and it was right. just taking way too much time and my feet were swelling up and it was a serious problem. Right. I did get some help from uh, from a, buddy of mine, Adam Kimball, who had run across the country uh, the previous year trying to set the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't end up succeeding, but he uh, he did it really fast. I think he did it in like 60 days. Mm-hmm. And he sent me a pair of shoes, a pair of hokas, mm. and I still rock those, uh, still rock hokas to this day because of that. They're from uh, uh, SB, aren't they? Um, I, have a, I have a buddy that actually works at Hoka. Oh, he's yeah, a, yeah, he's yeah. a marketing guy there, um, does their video. Oh, promotion is uh well I'm I'm a huge fan they got me across the country I mm. was uh, I was rocking a different pair of shoes before that and they just weren't built to handle what I was doing right um so I got got a pair of hokas and uh, it gave me a lot more cushion for my feet nice. and uh, that was helpful but only to a certain point and I couldn't stay on my feet uh, any longer for that amount of time so mm-hmm. I I ended up figuring out that I had to run essentially run one minute walk one minute mm. and I just like kept doing that cycle and uh by the time I got to like a thousand, a little over a thousand miles, I was able to do, you know, one minute running, one minute walking, uh, and hold about 10 minute miles, 10 to 11 minute miles and, uh, knock out the 30 miles in about like six hours. Wow. Um, 
we got into a groove at a, you know, I'd say about the halfway point, but uh, the first thousand miles were just absolutely brutal, especially going over all those mountains. I I can't imagine doing the first 10 miles. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was uh, actually really funny. Uh, A fellow Hasi of mine, who's who's a classmate of mine now, uh, I'm sure he's okay with me sharing this story, but Mm -hmm. uh, Steel Lorenz, definitely somebody you should have on the podcast. He uh, joined me. So obviously when I started in the Pacific Ocean, I came across and was in the East Bay, ended up running by Berkeley. And uh, he was like, dude, I'd love to join you. And he joined me uh, for, for 10 miles or so, maybe more. I can't quite remember, but uh, he hadn't met me or anything like that. He just uh-huh. saw that I posted in the Facebook group that I'd be doing this, and uh, he joined me and came out there, and he was following me and supporting me all along. But uh, he came out and joined me, and he was like, "Hey, I think I was like 20 miles in that day," and he was like, "He was like, how's it going?" And I was like, "Not bad." He was like, "Well, you haven't quit yet," and I was like, "Yeah, exactly." Mm-hmm. Um, so. It went well. The first thousand miles were pretty rough, though. A lot of injuries, a lot of just back and forth time, mm-hmm. hitting a lot of mountains, which was part of the reason I went to San Francisco to New York to begin with. Right. Another reason was uh, uh, we had a partnership with the New York Mets, mm. and uh, going over the Rockies was just one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had. Just wow. running up a mountain and then running down a mountain. One, I didn't think I could do that. I uh-huh. also didn't think there were roads that did that, but there are roads that do that. <sighs> went over Sundance Mountain and just like, I mean, to the point where the um, the Rockies, like park police were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm running across the country. And they were like, okay, sure you are. They were like, we'll, we'll tell people to keep a lookout for you. And I was yeah. like, yeah, they were like, stay safe. And yeah. I'm just running like on the side of this like winding road. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, and in Utah, that was that was crazy as well. Same sort of winding roads. Um, so, what would your brother do? He would, I imagine, he wasn't driving at your pace. He would no. What, just... So he would drive. Uh, so my brother handled like all the logistics, and he handled really like the marketing and campaigning. So he was he was recording me, taking pictures, mm. uh, handling all of our social media, so we could get the story out there, mm-hmm. doing Instagram stories and whatnot. And he would uh, he would drive up ahead and like position himself so he could check all this stuff out. He'd figure out where we needed to go, got it, um, so that we can make it through. You know, trying to avoid major highways and whatnot. Right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, he was he was in charge of of most of that, which was um, which was I mean, essentially everything. My job was to run; his job was everything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of him, we end we end up raising uh, over fifty thousand uh, dollars for ALS, uh, with much more. Uh, being raised by by the foundation as well. That's amazing. Yeah. So it was it was it was pretty phenomenal. Yeah. That's uh, it's really inspiring to hear when we're determined to do something, how much support we get. Yeah. And um, just even the level of support, right? Yeah. Uh, and commitment from from a, a brother and a family member. That's uh, that's an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think to to wrap that. Story up, mm-hmm. unless there's there's more you want to share about this. I mean, there's still two thousand more miles to go. Yeah, no, I mean the, the middle thousand was pretty good. We mm-hmm. had like cornfields and whatnot. It was uh-huh. flat. It was pretty great. Um, and, and the end was uh, the end. Also, wasn't too. It was really getting getting uh, getting started there and yeah. believing that I could do it because I don't think the entire time I ever let myself believe I could do it. And mm-hmm. I also, but at the same time, I was just never thinking more than a day ahead. Yep. So it was like, if I can do this day or I can do this part or I can do this section, mm-hmm. I'll be fine. So I never let myself think about the whole picture. Mm-hmm. 
Which just I, one, just one foot uh, in front of the yeah, other. Yeah, which um, like I never went big picture on myself. Like uh, it was, it was unbelievable to see how much my like mental strength like disappeared. Because mm-hmm. uh, by the time I was done with this thing, uh, my girlfriend and my brother will tell you I was just a mess of a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, if you if you were trying to make a clever joke or be sarcastic with me, mm-hmm. I just flat out wouldn't understand. Mm-hmm. Like I just couldn't pick up on it. I would say my IQ level was at 25% of mm-hmm. what it usually is. Not that it's usually that high, <laughs> but um, I was just struggling to even communicate. I was a volatile and emotional mess mm-hmm. by the end of it. And I was just, uh, it was, it was, it was crazy. I mean, the day we finished, I completely collapsed in like tears and just like couldn't even like emotionally handle myself or figure out what was going on. And then a week later we went to, um, we went to the Mets Dodgers game and my, I threw out the first pitch to my brother, Mm. um, which was awesome. Ran around the, the, they made, you know, they made me running. They made me, made me run around the outfield. Um, and that was, I was like, I hope my legs don't fall apart. Uh, I really hope I can do this. Um, Cause there was definitely some aspect of this of once I finished, I was like, all right, you're done. You yeah. don't have to run anymore. And yeah. like, I let go of all that mental strength. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was, I was a shell of a human being. Um, and that was like about a week or two before I needed to come here, I ended up flying into here uh, the day of the first day of orientation and showing up at like 3 a.m. that day, wow. just rolling into class being like, I'm not a form for uh, like a fully developed human being right now. I just like can't communicate super well. So yeah. hopefully you guys will take it easy. On now you're, you're, you are phenomenal. Um, I have to wonder how did you pass the time running? Uh, all those months. Did you like listen oh, to audiobooks, yeah. listen to music, mm-hmm. or just kind of just take it all in? So it started with uh, lots of audiobooks, lots of podcasts. Um, friends were making me playlists. By the end of it, I was so brain dead that I couldn't, I couldn't like consume any of that. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't understand what was happening. Wow. I couldn't like couldn't listen to a podcast because I'd forget everything that was said. Couldn't <laughs> listen to a book because I'd have no idea what happened. What ended up happening was I'd listen to like one song on repeat because mm-hmm. that was all I could handle. Right. Um, it was just too much for my brain uh, to receive, which is like a concept I just did not understand before. Like mm-hmm. I could not handle more information than one song. Mm. And it had to be like a really simple poppy song. Right. Like just one that had like no substance to it mm-hmm. and just like a nice hook and that was it. Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, just nothing, nothing complicated. That's amazing. Now this is uh this is really interesting here because you inspire me to to go do an Ironman now because Dude, definitely. Like, what's an Ironman compared to what Mike did? <laughs> <laughs> They're still hard, I'll tell you that. But um it's yeah, no, it uh I will say this, uh knowing what I went through, uh I couldn't do it again. Mm. Um Part of this was the ignorance is bliss, mm-hmm. um, and I think we all need to think about that in when we go uh, when we go and try to take on these big challenges. Is like we don't know uh, what's going to happen. I guess uh, I think it's like Mike Tyson's trainer's famous quote of like, "We all have a plan until we get hit in the mouth." Mm-hmm. Well, I got hit in the mouth on like day four mm-hmm. and had to throw the entire plan out the window and come up with something new, um, and that's. Uh, it, that was such a powerful lesson for me to learn mm-hmm. uh, and something that I've tried to bring uh, to all my enterprises going forward. And it's just, uh, we have a really, really incredible 
attribute right now and that we don't know what the future holds and we don't know how hard it might be to do what we want to do. And the beauty of that is that we can go in there and, and ride that ignorance and achieve whatever we want to achieve mm-hmm. uh, because we don't really know exactly what it'll take, but we just have to take it one day at a time. Yeah, this is amazing. I really hope that our listeners uh, take that lesson to heart and uh, especially Hossies, I know the first years, especially, mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. rough trying to figure out their way, um, our way. Um, yeah. Because we're, yeah. we're first years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as a, as a first year, I have failed on like three different career paths already. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I finally figured out something to do for the summer, l- literally today. Um, so, um, yeah, keep faith. It, it's not linear, it's, it's a crazy path. You will fail so many times if you're willing to put yourself out there and try, mm-hmm. uh, and it rewards you in the end uh, because the uh, the journey for me to get to where I am right now, just even my first year at Haas, I'm, um, I've exceeded all my expectations on on what I'm going to be able to do this summer, and I'm mm-hmm. so lucky. But uh, that came with so many failures throughout the year of you know interviews that uh, that didn't ended up didn't end up with jobs, you know just absolutely panicking being like I'm not hireable I can't get a job mm-hmm. to uh, you know panicking just because I was like I, I had no idea what I want to do with my life uh, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to find something that'll that'll be meaningful to me um, and I want them to know that that is so normal and th- people told me it was normal too and I just mm-hmm. didn't believe them I was like I don't know how this feeling can be normal mm-hmm. but it is uh, and you're going to be just fine yeah Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you for tuning in today. My aim is to bring the Haas community closer together through your stories. We're always looking for Haasies willing to share their stories and experiences so that we can give you more insights into the different programs, different careers, and ultimately different perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to email me for suggestions on how I can improve this podcast or if you have any recommendations on people or content you'd like to hear. My email is reachshawn at berkeley.edu. That's spelled R-E-A-C-H-S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu. 